Good morning. My name is Michael. I'm the lead pastor here at Victory. We welcome you today. If you're a guest, we thank you for coming. A lot of great churches in the area, and we're blessed that you've chosen to fellowship with us this morning. Um, we are in the series that we are toward the end wrapping up. This is number six today in the Red Letter Questions series where Jesus is posing questions of individuals, of groups, of disciples. Uh, this morning, the title of the message is called, Do You Love Me? All right, everybody say, do you love me? Yeah. All right, this is the question that we're going to see Jesus ask the disciple Peter. He has some very deep concerns in his heart that need to be addressed and spoken to. He's sort of stuck in a place and can't get beyond that. And Jesus is going to ask him some questions and see that there is a future. How many of you ever have been in a situation where it looks like everything that can go wrong is and it's all just sort of crowding around down on you? Um, the, the last six months in my own life have just been uh, swirling with bad news at different times and fighting cancer and then surgery and then back in the hospital again with a staph infection. That one about killed me. And recovering and getting health back and just a host of other things that are swirling that I really uh, account for as just pure spiritual warfare because of where we are as a church, the step we're about to take in faith in breaking ground on that property and the building that's being designed and drawn up right now as we keep going back to the board and making adjustments. We're excited about that. The Wednesday night that the announcer was giving to you uh, regarding the 29th is going to be an amazing night of vision. We encourage everybody, if you possibly can, to be there. They, our our all-access nights are always a lot of fun with some games and a lot of giveaways and a great time and a very encouraging, I believe, informative and uplifting message will come about 10 minutes each from each of the staff pastors, from Haley, from Jeremy, and from myself. We'll be talking about vision for the future. So I believe God has some great things in store for us. I'm going to ask if you would stand with me one more time and let's read three verses of Scripture. John 21, verses 15 through 17. I'd like you, if you would please, you grab the red letters in and uh, the, the, the verse part that's in red and read as a congregation. I'll read the white part, okay? After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Yes, Lord, Peter replied, you know I love you. Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question. Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. Jesus said. Lastly, a third time he asked him. Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, Bow your hearts with me, please, for a word of prayer. Gracious God, thank you today for your strength that has just already blessed and touched me in the first service this morning. Thank you, Lord, that uh, as we draw near to you, your word promises that you will draw near to us. Thank you that we're only able to do that because of the work of the Holy Spirit, uh, that the blood of Jesus makes us nigh to you. God, thank you that you bring us, those that are near and far, and you bring us and catch us in your embrace, as this, the words of the song sang this morning. We're, we're looking for a fresh glimpse of what your love is. Even as the, the, the old anthem, the rock anthem of the 90s said, I want to know what love is. I want you to show me. Jesus, thank you that you show us indescribably, but a picture that is emblazoned on our hearts today, 
what real love is from God to us, from us to God, from us to one another. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. You may be seated this morning in the presence of the Lord. Um, if there ever were a Sunday when I really just truthfully didn't feel like being here and didn't want to be here, it would, would be today. I woke up early and I looked outside. The weather is just indescribably gorgeous. Really, this is Easter Sunday weather, what we didn't get last Sunday. It was just the clear blue skies, the little bit of a crisp temperature. Um, but the last, as I said, just sort of in my opening remarks, the last six months have been very, very challenging, as anyone who lives long enough will go through seasons. And it always helps me to get a sort of a perspective check, to be reminded of what others that I know and don't know are struggling with much more difficult than my set of circumstances. And so when I'm able to see that and be reminded and be so grateful for how blessed I am in where, what I'm going through, um, it, it helps me to arrive again at a place of gratitude and to say, God, thank you that you are intricately, you are, you are intimately interested in what's going on in my life and you are working together for my good the circumstances that I might not presently understand but you are actively involved in the day-to-day -day concerns of my life sometimes even in the mundane um, this has been a very difficult week for us because our little 17 year old uh, the, the poodle that was really not mine it was Dawn's little dog Olivia we called her Livy she went to glory, and so um, it's, I'm, I'm going to do a much better job than I did the first service because it was like I was a mess just telling about it, and um, I, th I think that sometimes we um, struggle with things not necessarily at face value what's going on then, but because so much is piled up, uh, and it's like this week for me personally, this was just kind of the straw, the straw that sort of broke the camel's back, and um, I'm going to tell you about it a little bit in a minute, but I'm, really, I'm, I'm ministering to you today from a place of brokenness, and I think that's a good thing. I think that's a thing that God uh, stirs our hearts and brings us to a place of tenderness before His presence, to acknowledge my own weakness, because when I can get out of the way and acknowledge that, it's amazing how He's strong and shows up with His strength. Um, this, this passage has been working on me for several days. The, the context is in the first 14 verses before, and I, I, for time's sake, I don't want to read them to you, but I, I just want to remind you what's going on. We've, we, yes, we've seen the crucifixion, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus. He's revealed himself to the women in the garden, to the disciples on the road to Emmaus in the locked room, which Jesus suddenly appears, which says something about his resurrected body. He's, he can penetrate the locks of the doors and walks in and all of a sudden appears in their presence and with them and says, don't be afraid, I'm not a ghost, touch me, handle me, see. This is not just some specter standing here in your place, but I am who you know that I am to be. And so we talked about that last Sunday with the resurrection message, which marks the beginning of the new creation. It's the first day of the new creation week, the very same way that God created in six days and rested the seventh. Jesus began something entirely new, being raised from the dead on the first day of the week. 
in the Old Covenant, what we worked for for six days to earn our rest on the seventh, the New Covenant completely flips over. We don't earn or work for anything. We begin in rest that is given to us. Just like today is the first day of this week, and you're going to be strengthened and revived and infused with the empowering presence of Jesus and excited and leave here, and you will go out of to do the works that God has called you to do, beginning today from a place of rest not having to work all week to earn it, but you start with the gift of rest that only comes in Jesus Christ. Come on, somebody. So interestingly enough, Jesus does something that literally turns the whole culture of the Jewish faith on its ear upside down. What was worship that was gleaned as rest, uh, earned from six days of work, now begins on the first day. Peter has seen Jesus, he's already appeared to him, but there's still a wall. Some things had happened on the night before the crucifixion. And you'll remember the story, but before I jump into that, let's just get the context here because Peter wakes up the next day, and, or basically that, that day, and he says, you know what, I'm going fishing. He'd seen Jesus, he was ecstatic, he was pretty excited that, that the hopes that temporarily had been dashed for about three days all of a sudden get rejuvenated and revived. But there's something that is still in his heart, in his spirit, that is putting him at an arm's length between him and Jesus. There's a wall. There's some stuff that he had to say. There's some things that he said that he shouldn't have said. There were some sins that Peter committed Sins of omission. And so he basically is just kind of saying, you know what, I'm just going to go back and sort of try the old way. I'm going fishing. And he gets six of his other buddies to go with him. Seven of the original disciples, including Peter. Peter plus six more. Get on the boat and they go out to catch some fish. And the Bible says in John chapter 21 that they worked all night long and caught nothing. And I just, just let me say to you that I, I feel like I've been in that place in the last six months, pouring out my energy, just, just sometimes grappling through, uh, getting my head around just the way some things have turned out, and, 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 and you never are prepared to go through what sometimes hard places that, that life leads us to and takes us through. If, it's like the old guy that says, you know, God will pull you through that knot hole backwards if you'll just let it. If you can stand the pull, you'll make it through. And, and so I feel like I've, I've been there. I know a little bit about just having to trust God in the face of difficult times and circumstances. I've been there before, trusted Him in relationships, trusted Him in finances, trusted Him here lately in my own health and, and, and making an attempt to try to take steps to uh, recover that. Trusting Him for healing but beginning to take steps as well myself in responsibility and changing some eating habits and getting some exercise moving again. And just, to be honest, just trying to feel like even doing that. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You know what you need to do, but you, you, you're fighting inertia. You're fighting it. Well, I just don't feel like it. And, and this, this has kind of just been one of those times in my life in the last six months to wrestle through some of these things. And Peter... Just so for a moment, he's, he's wrestling through the circumstances and just this head spinning from what's happened over the last week in his life. And he says, I'm going fishing. And they go with him and they work all night long and don't get anything. And it's dawn of the next day and the men are on the boat and they've been hustling and 
basically, you know, casting nets and they've been trying their best and they've come up empty over and over and over and over and dawn breaks and some light is shined on the beach of the Sea of Galilee, on the big lake. And they see a familiar person, but they don't really know who it is. And they see that a fire's going and the smell of cooking fish is wafting through the air and the friend that is there on the shore says, Hey, have you caught anything, fellas? You can almost hear Peter grumble under his breath. Don't ask me that stinking question. He's a fisherman. He wants to be able to say, I caught one this big. And he says, No! And from the shore, this familiar-looking figure, which they've not yet determined who it is yet, hollers and says, Cast your nets on the right side of the boat and you'll get some fish, guys. Peter says, okay, I've been in this place before. This is like spiritual deja vu. So he says, okay, guys, let's try it. We've done all night long in our own strength. So they throw the net over the right side of the boat and they pull in a haul that is so big that they can't contain it. Except this time, the nets don't break like they do in another one of the stories. And John the Beloved, the one who's writing this particular gospel, the one who sometimes I... I I, I chuckle at how he sort of overconfidently describes himself, never giving his name, but he always says, the one whom the Lord loved. (laughs) How many of you know that's all right? That's, That's all right to be so confident that when you're telling a story, you can say, the one whom the Lord loved. How many of you know, I jokingly say that if God had a refrigerator, your picture would be on it. That's how crazy he is about you. We've sung every song about the love of God this morning, about deep calling out to deep and, and how he, only He can satisfy the longing that's in our souls. And, 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 and the one who describes himself in this amazing gospel looks at Peter and he says, it's the Lord. Peter's stripped down for work. He's probably got on some stinky fishing pants, but he's, his, he's shirtless. And so he grabs his shirt and he throws it on and he jumps into the Sea of Galilee and he starts swimming. John and the other five disciples said, I guess, well, I guess it's our job to get the boat in. They all know that it's Jesus now. And so they're rowing in, and they've got this haul of fish that they still can't pull over into the inside of the boat. And, and here's Peter, and he's swimming in that last 20 yards or so, and he's getting there. He knows it's Jesus. He's heading for Jesus, and he gets out of the water and comes running up onto the beach, smells the fish, sees the bread, and looks into the eyes of the one who knew him before the foundation of the world. With eyes of love and eyes of forgiveness, we're not going to talk about it yet because Jesus doesn't mention it and neither does Peter. And he says, hey, bring some of the fish that you caught. They're rowing up in the boat just about this time. Peter runs back, grabs the catch of fish, and manhandles it all the way up there to where Jesus is And they count 153 fish. Very interesting because this particular story in the Gospels doesn't just say a great catch, but it says 153 large fish. Most theologians believe that this is a prophetic symbol of these guys who were natural fishermen, who Jesus said in the beginning of his ministry, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men, that this was literally a prophetic picture of every one of the nations of the earth that would eventually be reached with the gospel upon whom men would be fished from their shores. So that's, that's a picture of a very specific number 
It's not just a great multitude, but it's a specific number, but they're large fish. So if you want to see that as nations that we're called to disciple, because 2,000 years later, we are well on our way to doing that to every nation, tribe, and tongue. Still a host of those who have yet to hear the gospel, but we are well on our way. Somebody say amen. Peter brings the fish up there to Jesus and all of them really just sit down and have an amazing breakfast together. And we read the text and it says an after breakfast. So they eat. Jesus already has some miraculously. I don't know how he caught them. But he's got them cooking and it's enough for them to sit down and begin to enjoy some time together. And I'm sure the guys are over there sort of cleaning and getting some other fish prepared and throwing them on the fire because they're going to have basically a, a good old sit down time with some of a renewal period with Jesus and the disciples. First thing out of Jesus' mouth, Jesus looks at Peter and he says, Simon, interesting, he calls him by his old name. Remember, this was the one that Matthew, Matthew's gospel in chapter 16, Jesus asked the question one day, whom do men say that I am? And they report Isaiah and Jeremiah and Elijah. And they give these different ideas of what people are saying. They're, they're just basically bringing the rumor mill, the gossip back to Jesus. And Jesus says, okay, fine, but who do you say that I am? And he looks at Peter, and Peter answers with an amazing clarity and moves to the head of the class. Peter says, thou art the Christ, King James. You're, you're the Messiah. You're the anointed one. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus looks at Peter, and he says, Peter, that's remarkable. Flesh and blood have not revealed that to you, but my Father which is in heaven. And so it's from this vantage point that we recognize Jesus used two, uses two words, Petra and Petros. And it's in this moment where Jesus says, upon this rock, which means a boulder, it's like a piece of a mountain, he says, upon this rock I will build my church. Now that's not Peter becoming the first bishop of the, the, the Roman Catholic Church, but it's the revelation of Christ's kingdom. Everybody say rock, spell it, say R-O-C-K. Now say, revelation of Christ's kingdom. The context is what God is building the rock, what, what is God is building on that is the rock is the concept of revelation. You don't come into the kingdom except God by the Holy Spirit first reveals it to you. You don't know who Jesus is except the Holy Spirit reveals it. To, oh, you can believe and mentally assent to the fact that there was a historical figure by the name of Jesus, but when you understand, when you, it's revealed to you and the Spirit pulls the scales off of your eyes and you get clarity and understanding that this is the Messiah, this is the Anointed One, this is Christ, this is the sacrificial Lamb of God who took away your sins and mine. In that moment, your eyes are opened and you, you can never be the same. It's on the rock of revelation that the kingdom of God is established. He says, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. They won't stop it. They won't be able to hold it back. Okay? So this is where Jesus changes Simon's name. Simon means read. A reed is a very common plant growing in the marshes along the sides of River Jordan, along the side of the Sea of Galilee, and it just sort of blows, indicating which way the wind's going. In many ways, sometimes carnal Christians can be reedy like Simon because we just sort of are like a thermometer. We just register the temperature of the culture around us. But in this moment, Jesus looks at Simon and he says, no longer are you going to be called reed, 
He said, but I want you guys to call this dude Rocky. Everybody look at your neighbor and say, Rocky. Petras. Even though compared to the big rock upon which the church is being built, the rock of Revelation, Peter is a little pebble. He's a stone, but he's an important stone. And so Jesus remembers this one who had taken the name change. There's a nature change. This is what happens when we become new creations in Christ. We may have been reedy, but now God says, I'm going to call you Rocky. I'm going to re-identify you because you're a new creation in Christ. What you used to be is not even what it's about anymore. It's about who I'm making you to be now. Come on, somebody. So don't call him reedy. Call him Rocky. Not Simon, but Petros. Now... This is the beautiful issue of what happens here. Jesus is differentiating and he looks at him and he says, Simon, do you love me? Because something had happened and it was from the old creation. Something had happened in Peter's life. They're sitting around the, the night of the Passover in the room together and Jesus breaks the bread and he hands him the cup and he says, this is the blood of my New Testament shed for the remission of your sins. Take this, eat. This is my body. And in that moment of intimacy, Jesus talks a moment about somebody betraying him and they're just aghast. They just can't believe it. Well, who could it possibly be? Is it me? Is it me? And, and, and all the while, I think it's so interesting, Jesus knew who it was, Judas, who was later to betray him with a kiss. Interestingly enough, Judas, from the same Hebrew word as Judah, which means praise. We can have a praise on our lips and we can have a kiss that betrays. Judas is the praise that betrays. Kisses Jesus in the garden, identifies him for the Roman guard. He's hauled into mock courts before the high priest, before the Roman governor, Pilate declares, I find no fault in him. The Jews demand that he be crucified. And you know what happens? Peter is over there looking into the, through the courtyard into the council area, into the, into the courtyard area in the governor's house, and he's warming his hands outside by the fire, and he, he can't quite hear what's going on, but he knows that it's not good because he's been taken into captivity. And all these things that Jesus has been saying to him, especially the last several months and, and the last week, all these things about him being being lifted up and men being drawn up to him and all of these things about the Son of Man laying down his life and a corn of wheat falling into the ground and dying. They've just always went, what is he talking about? Jesus, literally at the table, before the crucifixion, when they'd all said, who is it, me, is it me, is it me? And Peter in his impetuous bravado and his over-the-top machismo and his just claiming that he is just strong for Jesus looked at him and he said, no, 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 I never. And before he could get it all out, Jesus said, Peter, just be quiet. Before the rooster crows twice, you're going to deny me three times. Peter didn't have anything to say. What can you say? When the one you know who knows all things looks at you and says, this is what you're going to do. And Peter is standing out there warming his hands by the fire and he's trying his best to be unnoticed and inconspicuous. And he's talking among some of the guys. And a young maiden comes up and says, Your speech betrays you. You're a Galilean. You're one of his group. Oh, no, not so. And he denies it. He lies. He denies Jesus. And he hears the cock crow. And it doesn't really register with him yet. And he's still around the fire. And some of the other soldiers begin to say, Yes, I've seen you somewhere before. And not only the second time, but the third time, Peter denies Jesus. And he does it with a curse. 
He curses God. He curses Jesus. And he lies and he denies. Judas' story is very different. He goes out, he kisses Jesus, delivers him into the hands of the Roman guard. He's under conviction. He takes the 30 pieces of silver back to the high priest. and He says, this is wrong. This is blood money. I can't do it. And they say, no, we can't take it. And the money's slung out. And they said, go buy the field, the potter's field. And I want to say something to you this morning. It may be controversial. You may disagree with it, and that's fine. Really, whether you agree or disagree does not make any difference in your salvation. I just want to say this, because I believe that there is no sin that is beyond the scope of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. I believe, I believe that what we're about to see in Peter's restoration, I honestly believe that Jews could have gotten forgiveness if he had just hung around and asked for it. If he hadn't given up so quickly under the condemnation of the enemy. And I know the scripture, I know what it says, I know that the Jesus said it's better if that man hadn't been born. And I don't know if that's out of Jesus' foreknowledge, that he knows what Judas is going to do. But I have to believe in a God who is described as love. God is love. And a God who pours out forgiveness and mercy and doesn't just give you the second chance, but he gives you the 10,000th and second chance. I believe if, if Judas would have just, just taken a moment and just waited for three days and saw what God was going to do, that he could have come back in his brokenness. And the Bible it just, it just freaks me out when I read those passages. Jesus knew what he was going to do, and yet the Bible says, and yet he loved it. Forgive my emotion. I buried my dog this week, and it was just, it's just been a crazy kind of whirlwind. So I'm preaching from a place of brokenness. But I want to tell you, <laughs> as the snot runs out of my face, <laughs> I want to tell you, I believe there's some people maybe sitting here under the sound of my voice this morning. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you. Tissue. Maybe you're at a place where you just feel like giving up. Don't do what Judas did. Don't give up too quickly because if it had just waited just a few days, just a couple of days, just three days, he could have looked Jesus in the eye and I believe with all of my heart Jesus would have looked at him with love and forgiveness because he hung on the cross and Jesus said, Father, forgive them. Agnoeo, agnostic, Greek word, ignor I'm sorry, uh, Latin word, ignoramus. They, they're ignorant. They don't know what they're doing. Forgive them, oh God, because they don't know what they're doing. That wasn't just those immediately, but it's all of us out through time and history and the stupid things that we've done in the moments that we've done. And I would just ask you this question. Point number one, why did Jesus ask him the question three times? Why did he repeat it? Was Jesus stuttering? Remember, Jesus asks a question not to find out information, but to confront us with our answers. To help us see where we are in the moment. When God came walking in the cool of the day and said, Adam, where are you? It wasn't because God didn't know specifically geographically where he was in the garden. He was saying, Adam, where are you with me relationally? There's a breach. Something's wrong. So Jesus looks at Peter and he asks him three times and Peter is perturbed, Peter is frustrated in every answer every time. Jesus responds to him after he says, Yes, Lord, you know I love you. And he says, Feed my lambs. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord. You know everything. He says, Take care of my sheep. Tend my sheep. Peter, do you love me? 
Jesus, you know everything. And by this point, Peter has really gotten to a place of frustration. He doesn't even realize what Jesus is doing. For every time he denied him, Jesus was saying, Hey, Peter, I'm connecting to you, brother. I'm covering, I'm covering that sin because you've got a job to do. And I refuse to let you define your life by one moment where you made a stupid mistake. Come on. If you're really honest... Peter's not different than any of us in this room. If we tell the truth, everybody in this room has something you would just assume the rest of the room didn't know about. And the beautiful thing, the beautiful thing about a true relationship with Jesus Christ is that he completely deals with the past and gives you a whole new future. Why did Jesus ask Peter three times? I think it's so amazing because Peter has a lesson here to learn. It's found in the letter that Peter writes to the church in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8. It's found there in your notes. He says, most importantly of all, love each other deeply because love covers the multitude of sins. God is love. How do we show love? We show love not just by saying, I love you, God, but we show love of God by loving the other people around us. That means sometimes we have to love some folks that are not particularly lovely at the time. You know, we... we, we probably sometimes pride ourselves a little bit here at Victory for really trying to keep it real. And I say that truthfully. Sometimes maybe we go a little bit overboard, but I, I, I just have to tell you from the place of brokenness that I have been in this week, I'm so thankful that God loves me, that has, that has, that has just swarmed around me. It's captured me in His embrace. Our little dog been struggling for a year or so. She's hobbling, had hip problems, and she's got cataracts. She just look at us through those little milky eyes. She's 17. And, and Dawn looked at me Monday, and she said, Michael, we're going to have to put her down. Now, let me translate that for you. When Dawn said, Michael, we're going to have to put her down, you know what that means? <laughs> Michael, we're going to have to put her down. I had to put my, my beautiful golden retriever down a few years ago. He was 11 years old. And the big dogs don't live as long as the little ones do, 10 to 12 years. And he was 11. His kidneys failed. And I took him to the vet. And the vet said, you can spend a whole lot of money and you might, he might live another six months. And I said, no, let's, we're going to have to put him down. And I watched them, Dr. Bell, up here on 77, took the, the needle, Ivy, thank you, put it in his paw. He was sitting there the way he always sat with his paws crossed, big, beautiful dog. And I watched his head go down, and I started to cry. And Dr. Bell reached around and put his arm around me, and I said, you don't know me that well, and we both laughed in the moment, you know. <laughs> A little bit of man humor in the middle of the grief. There's something very wonderful about tears. I mean, laughter in the middle of tears. And uh, I remembered that. And Dawn said, we're going to have to put Libby down. And I said, I went Wednesday and I taught my Christian worldview class at Visible and never said anything about it. And all day it's just weighing on me. And I, I drove to Starbucks and I sat down there and I had a cup of coffee. And I'm on the patio and it's beautiful weather. And I turned my back to the rest of the people on the patio. And I'm looking at traffic at Union and McLean. Tears rolled down my cheeks. I don't want people to see me crying. And I said, God, if you love me, do this for me. 
and let Livy pass. Don't make me go take this little. She'd, she'd been at fat. She was four and a half pounds, okay? She'd lost weight the last year, probably three pounds, just nothing, just a bone. And I said, don't make me take that little frail nothing of a dog in there and make them stick her and make me take her last breath. If you love me, take this dog for me, please. And I drove back across the bridge in tears, and I went down Mound City Road to her house. And when I walked in the door, she had tucked herself in between two pillows laying in front of the fireplace. We'd had a special place for her the last few weeks because we knew she wasn't doing well. I said, Livy, she didn't respond, and I just stroked her back. She was still breathing. And I just said, Father, in the name of Jesus, take her. Thank you for a wonderful pet. Y'all, I'm sorry about this. This is just... And I got up and went to the kitchen, sat down, and I'm working on this message. I'm reading through it. I'm doing some study. I got up in 30 minutes and went back to check her, and she had already gotten stiff. And so she's no more breath. And so I got up and went and found a big shoebox and went in the backyard and dug a hole. And I buried her, and I stood out there and raised my hands in my backyard. And I said, God, I thank you that you love me, that you answered that prayer today, that you love me that much. And maybe that's nothing to you. Maybe that's nothing to you, but I'm going to tell you sometimes it's, you know, we all trust God for the big things, but sometimes it's those little moments that you just feel like with everything that it's been swirling in my life in the last six months, this is just the straw on the camel's back. And I just said, God, I need you. I need some strength. I need you to help me. And I was so grateful. I stood there and I worshiped. I said, God, thank you. Thank you for the blessings that you pour out in my life, the big things and the little things sometimes that I take for granted. And I'm all the time just this, this text is working on me. Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? The second point of my message this morning is that God's love is a one-way love. God's love is a one-way love. What do you mean, Pastor? It's, it's different from the kind of love that we, outside of the divine love of God, are able to show. Our love is conditional. You treat me right, I will respond in kind. It's a reciprocal kind of a relationship. But Jesus came talking about a different level of love than just mere phileo. And if you dig into the conversation, every time Jesus asked Peter, he says, Peter, do you agapeo, do you, do you agape me? Do you love me with the divine love of God? And Peter would answer every time, yes, you know that I phileo you. I love you with brotherly love. And Jesus was showing him, look, the love that I have for you is not based on condition. It's not based on I'm not loving you because you do everything right all the time. One way love is God chooses to love us. And because of that, I am able to love him. It's not God loves me because I loved him. No, we love him because he first loved us. Listen to the verse of scripture. This will make sense to you. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Nothing by apparent sake that is even redeemable. Every mess, junk, brokenness, destructive pattern of behavior. We, we are dead in sin. No hope whatsoever. But God loved us when we were hopeless. And he hung on the cross and he said, It is finished. To tell us die. It's paid in full. 
His love for you and for me is not two-way love. What I'm trying to tell you is there is nothing that you can do where you are right now that will make God love you any more than He already does. But listen, the converse of that principle is also true. There is nothing any of you in this room can do or possibly did in your past or will do in the future that would make God love you any less than He already does. His love is one-way love. It's not conditional. It's not based on what I do. And this is where we so break down because our, our human understanding just can't wrap, we can't wrap our brains around that because we're so used to the reciprocal kind of love. It's almost a, an agreement, a contract, a kind of a payment situation. And until we can come in contact with Him and He infuses us with an unconditional love, I believe that parental love comes close to it. There's some times when you don't like your children and you have to, you love them anyway. You're ready to sign the papers and commit them to the reform school for a year. I'm going to be so plain this morning. I might offend you. I'll I'll offend the Pharisees when I say this. There have been times that if I'd let myself, I could have been a wife abuser. I didn't say I ever had. Dawn Smith would never do... Let me tell you something. She would take a gun and end it right there. (laughs) I'm just trying to be real with you. Come on, let's get off of this ridiculous idea that our pastor has some kind of of, of a special dispensation with God that he doesn't have to wrestle down the same stuff that we face. Come on, I get hurt and I get frustrated and I get wounded and I get angry. And I want to lay hands on somebody sometimes. Come on, everybody in the room, let's just get real. Come I mean, This is a little bit raw this morning. But there are times when, and I, what I'm trying to tell you is that I have to cry out in that, those moments like everybody else and go, God, change me, transform me. God, help me live above this emotional connection or this emotional thing here that, that just seems to try to pull on me. When you know that you're called to something higher. And it was in a moment of weakness that Jesus said, I'm not going to let you be defined by the low moment in your life, Peter. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep. Feed my lambs. You've got something to do. Peter had a lesson to learn. He had a job to do, but before he had the job to do, he had a lesson to learn. And this is, the, this is it right here. This is the most important thing that I'm going to say to you today, right now. Next one, please put it up, guys. God, de- Read it out loud, everybody. God deals with a person based on his destiny and not his history. Read it again. Come on, here we go. Do it again right now. God deals with a person based on his destiny and not his history. That means what you're dealing with, what God's taking you through right now is not punishment for your past. It's because he's preparing you for something for your future. The blood of Jesus Christ sufficiently and efficiently dealt with your past. The grace of God is here in the middle of the struggle and the trial and the temptation. However you describe it, the storm in the middle of the lake that you're going through, the mountaintop of celebration, the depression of the valley, wherever you are. Come on, I'm going to just preach myself happy a little bit this morning. Wherever you are, however it's defined, God's not punishing you for your past. He's forgotten about it. The best thing you could do would be to do the same thing. 
He says, I have no record of wrongs. I will remember your sins no more. If God's forgotten about it, don't you think you ought to try to do the same? He will not let you be defined by a weak moment, a bad choice, a wrong decision from your past. He looked at Peter and he says, Peter, do you love me? Peter had a job to do, but before he had the job to be commissioned to what he's about to do, to feed the lambs of God for the church. Literally, Jesus knew that in about six or seven weeks, Peter was going to be standing up, the one who would be on the day of Pentecost, preaching like a man possessed by the Holy Spirit, and 3,000 people would immediately get saved and be born into the kingdom of God. The guy who a few days ago warmed his hands by the fire, cursed God, and denied Jesus Jesus said, Peter, do you love me? For every one time he denied him, Peter, do you love me? I'm thankful for God's one-way love. This is what I want you to see this morning. And some of you are hearing this. The person said to me one time when I was praying for them, telling them this story, 25 years of ministry and counseling and helping folks through difficult seasons of their lives and get beyond the past. One moment, one person said to me, I'm not worried about Jesus. I know that Jesus forgives me. It's the church that I'm worried about. Let that sink in right there. I'm not saying that grace is some kind of permissiveness. Jesus looked at the woman caught in adultery, and he said, woman, where are your accusers? He said, I don't condemn you. They're not here to condemn you. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. I believe it's only with the recognition that we've received the gift of God's grace and forgiveness that we can begin to live out a life of laying the thing down and sinning no more. Are you hearing me? And too many times we've been in situations where Pharisees come in with a bag of rocks ready to stone somebody. And what is it? What is it about Southern churchianity? Man, we, we throw our arms around and love the sinners and they come in and get saved. But then once they've kind of been a part of the group for a year or so, then we, it's like we put a set of expectations on them. You better get your ducks in a row. You know what's been going on over there at that house. Grace will confront and it will speak truth, but it will do it in love. Come on. Nobody in this place perfect except for one man. His name is Jesus. Come on. Come on. Are you following me? I love this. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. That's King James. King Jimmy's a little bit Elizabethan for us, a little old. Listen to the NLT. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the things he planned for us long ago. God has a plan for Peter. Peter can't see it because he messed up. People in this room this morning have made mistakes and you can't see the destiny, the plan that God is moving and preparing you for and the great blessings that are in front of you because you're so fixated on a moment in your past. Jesus says, I'm not going to let you be defined by one time in your life. Do you love me? 
Peter, you have a job to do. Feed my sheep. Well, what does that mean? Some of you sitting here, everybody, 95% of you sitting in the room going, well, I'm not in the ministry. How do you feed the sheep of the Lord? You take up your vocation and you do what you do to the glory of God. Come on. Steve, I believe you can put a set of tires on somebody and, on, on a car and, and you conduct your business and, and there's a transaction, but you can do it and feed the sheep of the Lord in the process. You are, you, you are, you are teaching in school and, and molding minds and you are, you, you are keeping order as a sheriff and, and you are building and constructing things to the glory of God and you're doing it to, uh, to fulfill something that God has called you to do. I'm reading through a new translation. It's called The Voice in my devotional time. And I love this in Ephesians 2. Listen. It says, For we are the product of His hand, heaven's poetry etched on lives. When you look at that Greek word there, workmanship, it's the word poema. It literally looks like the word poem. Poema, which it was translated masterpiece in the NLT. Listen. For we are the product of His hand, heaven's poetry etched on lives, created in the anointed Jesus to accomplish the good works God arranged long ago. Religion is trying to tell you if you work hard enough, you might earn God's favor. But a relationship with Jesus is saying, guys, begin in rest, begin in grace, and then let your works glorify me and everything that you do. They come as a result of a renewed relationship with Jesus. Are you hearing me? It means I can love God because He first loved me. It means I can even love the unlovely people in my life because God gives me a whole new kind of love to begin to operate out of. Listen, last thing and I'm finished. God's love not only redeems, but it restores. Last point, say it with me. God's love not only redeems, but it restores. This is where we have to say, we as Victory Church are going to live above, not in our own strength, but out of the love of God, out of a place of brokenness, to remember where we were when Jesus found us. If I can do that because I have been forgiven much, the Bible says he who is forgiven much loves much. And if I can learn to remember what He delivered me from, I can look at your lives and I can look through eyes of love and forgive and I can, can extend love and mercy and grace. Listen to this. This is what the Bible says in Galatians 6, verses 1 and 2. Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Verse 2, share each other's burdens and in this way obey the law of Christ. Christ has a law? Yes, He sure does. It's called the law of God. And He summed it up in two. Ten big commandments, 613 all together. And He sums them up in two. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbors yourself. And when I start to live that that's the cross that I have to take up because I reach up in the upward beam of the cross and I upreach, I reach to God to love Him with my heart, soul, mind, and strength, everything that I can. And that means that if I love Him, I won't break those other commandments, which truthfully, it's not I, me breaking them, but they break me. They're there to protect me. 
And when I reach out to my other brothers and sisters and I love my neighbor as myself, if I love you, then I won't break, I won't steal from you, I won't covet your boat, I won't commit adultery with your wife. I won't do these things that the law of God makes a demand that I have no ability to keep apart from the grace of God now working in my life. So when I start to love, I love upward and I love outward. That's where I begin to obey the law of Christ, extending grace, mercy, forgiveness. We show our love for God by sharing it with others, and we do it through our callings. Listen to this, and I'm closing. John 3.16 is the very famous passage that we all are familiar with. It's held up at every baseball game. It's in the Final Four. It's at the Super Bowl, the World Series. The Boston Marathon, somebody's holding a sign that says John 3.16. The world knows, for God so loved the world that he gave his son. It's a beautiful passage. It goes on to say in verse 17, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. I love it because that's so identified. It's the picture of God giving. The first law of love is giving. God sent his son for us. Interestingly, it ends up with the number location 316. Those are added man-made. And, and, and however God ordered this and designed it, I don't believe in coincidences when it comes to this stuff. You, you bump over to the letter, the epistles of John, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. Have you ever looked to see what 1 John 316 says? Scott read it this morning. We've, we've designed a whole service around this concept of God's love. Do you love me? Listen this morning as I read 1 John 3.16. Now, John 3.16 says God so loved he gave his son. Listen to what 1 John 3.16 says. We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us, so we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. So what God did through Jesus in John 3.16, the extension for us over here is in the letter to the church. Jesus did it not just as an end, but he did it to show us how we're supposed to live now, to lay down our lives for the other brothers and sisters. What a beautiful, beautiful example that we all remember. God is not dealing with you this morning on your history. He's dealing with you based on your destiny, that which is out in front of you, that which he has called you to do. You have a job to do. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, thank you for this room this morning where you've brought us to a place of remembrance that it's only because you first loved us that we even have the ability to love. We love him because he first loved us. Thank you for your one-way love, God. There's nothing I can do that will make you love me more and there is also nothing I can do that will make you love me less. Somebody needs this message drastically in your lives right now. A moment in the past that you can't let go of. The psalmist said, as far as the east is from the west, so far has God removed our sins from us. Infinitesimally apart. That's the promise of God. 